Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Oh, beloved, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russin. I serve as the host, and I'm here with my faithful companion, partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. Frank, it was great to see you a few moments ago, and it's great to see you laugh again. Oh, John, we got to keep laughing in this fallen world. You know, Proverbs talks a lot about that joyful heart and uh, might be uh, a storm on the outside coming at us, but joy and peace are on the inside in the spirit. So, Well, my friend, it's amazing you said that because we're going to be talking today about a topic that is probably gut-wrenchingly painful for practically everyone. Hmm. And before I give you the topic, I'm going to remind our listeners briefly of uh, what we've been doing the past number of weeks. You've joined us in the middle of our current series called The One Another's, our take on life and the body of Christ. And Frank, if you recall, for the first 12 episodes or so, we've been talking about what we do, how we act toward each other. But last week, sir, we changed gears. We began to talk about what we say. And we talked about one that was don't grumble. But this one, my friend, this one is going to be rough. This one comes from James 4. Don't slander one another. Hmm. Now, for those who don't know what slander means, it means simply to speak badly about someone, to tell lies, to damage their reputation. Here are some synonyms, Frank. I'm going to throw these out for you to chew on and then ask you to comment to tear people down, to defame, to maliciously gossip, drag them through the mud, to run a smear campaign, to use a political example. Frank, these are very powerful word images that I just read out here. But Frank, we're talking about believers. So why should this be an issue in the church? I know it's a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We're talking about believers. Why should slander be an issue in the church? Oh, my goodness. Well, John, we know it's not a part of our new nature, correct? I mean, we're brand new creations in Christ. But we've got the power of sin, which indwells us. It's not us, but it is in us like a splinter would be in the body. We've got the flesh, and the flesh always seeks to exalt itself. And John, I think we've got an enemy that's tempting us. And then I think our failure either to understand or believe the truth that we are who we really are. And the great danger is that if we don't know who we are, if we doubt our glory, if you will, the fact that we're saints, the fact that we're righteous, the fact that we're significant, then we're going to feel unholy and we're going to feel insignificant. And those aren't fun feelings. So I think one of the best ways for us as humanity to deal with those negative emotions or slanders about ourselves 
is simply to point the finger at somebody else and slander them so our eyes are off ourselves. So put all that together and we've got an epidemic in the body of Christ that James 3 calls the tongue, which is like a raging fire. (laughs) Oh, yes. And you know, Frank, when uh, listening to you talk, my mind jumped over to uh, the book of Galatians and the works of the flesh. Mm. What an awful list of just despicable behaviors. But all of those are cautions to believers. Don't do this. Don't walk after the flesh because we are capable of doing every one of those, including slander Mm. uh, when we take our eyes off Jesus. Well, Frank, here is, in my opinion, the most stabbing, the most gut-wrenching definition of slander. It means to accuse unjustly. And every Mm. time I hear the word accuse, I think of one person, our enemy, Satan, the accuser Mm. of the brethren. And uh, I wrote down a reference here to 1 Timothy 3. You know Mm. this passage. Mm -hmm. It's a warning against slander, against falsely accusing. So, of course, being the inquiring guy I am and the aspiring Greek expert, I looked up (laughs) this word, and you know what it is, man? It means diabolos. And so to slander someone is really to satanize them. Mm. My goodness, what an awful thing that Christians can choose to do to each other, isn't it? You know, John, I'm listening to you. I, if only people would see it that way, that when they pull somebody aside, you know, and say, hey, let me tell you about that person they're actually functioning in partnership with the enemy. And interesting, John, that Greek word is in the feminine in 1 Timothy 3. So I don't know why the translators didn't translate it this way. They translated it gossip or slander, but it's really she-devil. You're functioning as a she-devil. And I don't think that's the way people think about it. If I could offer my own take on this, John? Sure. I kind of feel like this goes back to that lie in the garden. We shall be as God. And I know when we become believers, we enter into a lifelong battle of refuting that lie because it had such a hold on us. But if you think about when somebody has this tidbit, I kind of feel like in their mind, they are in the know and somebody else isn't. So it's a holdover of this kind of idea of, I'm like God, I'm omniscient. I know something somebody else doesn't. And so when I get to share this, I feel more significant about myself. I really wonder about that because if they really understood that they're being a she-devil, I don't think many people would do it. No, I think it's become almost commonplace in every television program, every movie, every political election. Uh, That's pretty much all we hear. And so it's become so innocuous that maybe we're just immune to it. And my friend, we shouldn't Mm. be because as we talked about last time, these words can go to the deepest parts of us and wound us horribly. Mm. I think, John, too, you tie that back in, what you just said with the Garden of Eden. 
I, I always go back to Genesis. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> we go back there almost every episode. Because again, we've got to understand the problem before we understand the solution. But you remember the first thing those two did was put on fig leaves. Everybody thinks they hid from God. No, that's the second thing they did. So we've been hiding from each other ever since. The thought process, of course, is if you knew the real me, you wouldn't accept me. So we spend a huge amount of time learning to trust people, building bridges where we can say to somebody, hey, I think they really do love me. I think they really do have my back. And yet one slanderous word will tear down years of carefully built bridges of trust. Yes. And that's a tragedy. Yes, it is. And you know, that's a perfect segue, my friend, because one of the things I want to talk about is that this is not unique to us in our time. I want to go back to the first five books of scripture. Let's go back to Numbers 12. And I want to talk about a dear lady, a sister of ours named Miriam. She Mm. happened to be Moses' sister. And when we read her story in Numbers 12, she grumbled against Moses about his wife. Okay, we talked about grumbling last episode. But then she crossed a line, my friend, and that's the problem with grumbling because it leads us to the next step. She crossed the line and she said, hey, has God spoken through Moses only? What about us? So she Mm -hmm. immediately threw Moses down, stepped up to a position equal with his. And I tell you, man, God took that really seriously. (laughs) He cast her out of the camp after he made her leprous instantly snap your fingers that fast made her leprous and uh they pleaded for her and god said no she's going to spend seven days totally separated from people because of this silly thing she has chosen to do and you said something earlier my friend you talk about uh, having the one up and knowing the secrets just like god when i look at this i want to throw out there another motive for slander. And as we talked about a little while ago, I'm experiencing this right now in my own life. So I've got a slant on this. I think it's envy. And I think as we look at Miriam, we see envy mm. that she wanted to make herself feel better. And so she couldn't beat Moses. So she dragged him down in a mm. way that made herself feel at least as equal to him. Hmm. So have I missed it, my friend, or am I on target? No, I, I think so, because and maybe I could clarify it like this, John. Again, it goes back to that being like God. When that person slanders, they're assuming the role of the judge. And there's only one judge, and that's God. So again, I think that ties in as, as well. And, you know, I was listening to you, John, about how God instantly struck Miriam with leprosy as a pastor. And you know this as an elder. Boy, I wish he'd do that in the modern world sometimes. <laughs> because when you're in the ministry, I mean, every time you open your mouth, there are going to be people who don't like what you say, even if it's true from Father's word. And they're going to go on the slander road. Boy, if, if he did that, maybe we have less of it going on. Well, maybe so. But I tell you, my friend, I was impressed by the sentence that father passed on her. It was separation. Mm. She couldn't sit there and confess to Moses and get this right with Aaron and get her ducks in a row. 
it was immediate separation because I think my friend, sometimes you just have to be away from that mm. before you can really understand first the danger that it represents to you. And then the horror that it brings to your life, because certainly this must have stunned Moses socks off. Oh yeah. And you know, that theme is consistent, John, because in Romans 16, Paul told the church at Rome to mark out those who are causing division, which would obviously done with their tongues. And he said, separate them after a first and then a second warning. So it's an interesting thing. I've watched church for 40 years now, and I've seen churches discipline people for adultery. I don't think I've ever seen a church discipline somebody for slander. And yet it's right there in Romans 16. Yes, it is. Uh, bouncing off of Miriam in numbers. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. You know, and if you think the uh, sudden judgment and the consequence on Miriam was tough, Frank, let's jump ahead a few chapters to number 16. And let's talk about Korah and the 249 mm. other of his closest friends. And they decided that Moses took too much of the spotlight. Poor Moses, man. Everybody was after his head. Uh, and they said this, why do you exalt yourself? Uh, again, envy is the key here. Mm. Golly, well, how devastating it is to want what somebody else has when your father hasn't given it to you. Mm. My goodness. And Frank, what happened? Do you remember the story of Korah? What happened? Oh, yeah. Time? God opened up the ground and swallowed him up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I read that again before we got ready for this podcast. And uh, uh, he did more than open up the ground. He told Moses and Aaron, sons, stand back. <laughs> Don't be near this when it happens. And his tents, his family, all 249 others, they just swallowed him up. And then I kept on reading because by that time, Frank, their poison had spread to 14,000 yes, other people. My mm. goodness. So the danger and slander, my friends, is that one word. It's like a drop of poison in a bottle of water. You can put mm. one small drop, but instantly the entire bottle of water becomes poison. Mm. That's the danger of slander. Mm. And you think of that passage in Romans, John, it'll destroy a church. First Corinthians, same thing, torn apart by division and slander. And I heard somebody once say slander is hymn number one in the praise hymnal of the enemy. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, I've never heard that, but boy, it certainly seems uh, accurate because that's what the enemy did in Genesis 3. By lying about God, he slandered him. Mm. Wow. Okay, my friend, let's change gears a little bit and let's make this a bit more personal. Oh, you're you meddling? I, oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, about <laughs> in our own lives. You and I have served as pastors and elders together for a long time. So I want to talk about a, a topic that's specifically mentioned in scripture. It's about receiving accusations against an elder or a pastor. Now, mm. I'll begin right now by laying all of our dirty laundry out here, Frank. You and I have messed up. Mm. No one is perfect. Nobody is infallible, despite what we want to believe about ourselves. Mm -hmm. But with pastors and elders and church leaders, there is so much 
hanging in the balance, the care of the flock, the integrity of the body. And so scripture is really clear, my friend, we got to be extra cautious. So first Timothy five says this, don't even listen to an accusation against an elder unless there are at least two or three. And then you better check it out very thoroughly. Mm. Frank, why is this really strong measure of protection put in? Well, there? I think if you look even at the uh, illustration we used earlier, Moses, the moment you step into leadership, there's this thing that's stirred up in people's flesh called envy. There's this be like God lie where I can do it better than he does. Who does he think he is? And so they are going to become a target. Leaders become targets. And so we have to protect those leaders. Uh, naturally, if a leader does mess up, I think in that passage, it does say you rebuke them before the whole church. So if it does happen, well, you, you deal with them in a harsher manner. But because of being in the front lines and the danger of slander, we have to take extra measures to protect them. Part of this is really hard, too, because as a leader, sometimes a pastor and elder, you're privy to information that you can't share publicly. I remember once we disciplined a person out of the church and because there was a real sinful behavior, but it was done privately. It was done behind the scenes. Uh, this was a very popular person at church, great servant's heart, did a lot of public ministry. And so when we read their name to the body, I had all kinds of people judging me, slandering me. How could you do this to that person? But I couldn't share because I was protecting them. Now they shared, they ran their mouth all over the community. What a horrible person I was, but I couldn't share because I had to protect them, even if they weren't protecting me. So it, it's a tough job and there is that danger. So we have to go the extra mile to protect the leader. That's right. And one caution to our listeners, uh, when you read First Timothy 5 and you see, uh, unless you have at least two or three witnesses, don't assume that that number is some magic threshold, because as I've thought about this, the number of accusers doesn't really prove anything. Case in point, how many cheered for Barabbas over Jesus? Mm. Who knows? Hundreds? A thousand? I have no idea. But every one of those voices was wrong. Mm. So if you hear something, take it very, very seriously. Keep it with you. Pray about it before you start opening your mouth and blabbing things around that will cause far more damage than they will cause good. And John, 14,000 in our illustration earlier with Cora, <laughs> they were all wrong. That's a huge number. That's right. But really what somebody needs to do is if they hear something, they need to do what scripture says. They need to pray about it, see if the Holy Spirit would call them to. And then if they are led by the Spirit, go to that person one-on-one -on -one and say, I'm sorry, but I heard something. I love you. I didn't let it go any further. In fact, I told the person not to share this anymore, but because I love you, 
I did want to come to you and see if you were okay, see if this was an issue. And I've had to do that sometimes. And other times I haven't gone simply because it was something slanderous. So I think you really have to be led by the spirit in how you're going to respond to this. That's right. Well, Frank, I want to change gears again a little bit and uh, get off the bad examples. And let's talk about some truth some identity truth based on scripture about who we really are. Because as partakers of the new covenant in Jesus, Frank, Mm -hmm. our tongues are not meant for evil. They're Mm -hmm. meant for good. Our tongues are meant now to speak life. Colossians 4 tells us to let our words be seasoned with salt. That means Mm -hmm. to make them tasty, to Mm -hmm. make them attractive, palatable, to make them This is the part we talked about already to make them preserving like salt preserves, Mm. you know, and and then I thought about, well, sometimes we have to speak hard words to someone. Uh, They might be true words, but sometimes they're hard words. This passage tells us how we're to do it. We're to speak our words so that the people we talk to aren't destroyed, Mm. that they're preserved, they're kept safe, and they're given a chance to be restored. Man, Mm -hmm. that is so important, isn't it, Frank, for the life and the body of Christ? You know, that's exactly what Jesus always sought to do, was to restore. Probably the greatest passage in the New Testament is that threefold question to Peter. You know, Peter failed three times, denying Jesus, and then Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And you know, when you first look at that, you kind of think, wait a minute, what happened to forgetting our sins and remembering them no more? But he was up to something, because each time he asked the question, and Peter said, yes, I love you, Jesus then said, feed my sheep. In other words, you're perfectly restored. You were my chosen vessel before you messed up, you're my chosen vessel still. So yeah, John, our our words should always be about restoration. And you know, there's that other verse in Colossians that says, speak the truth in love. That's right. And so we, I think the harsh words, rather than a finger at someone, it needs to be an arm around them when you have to do those hard words. That's for sure. Because we've talked about this before, Frank, Our definition, our functional definition is that we do the most redemptive and constructive and honoring thing we can do for someone. And so when we approach them, when they veer off course, when they make a mistake, they've got to know that we love them or else they are not going to listen to them. You know, we can barge in there, point fingers and speak truth harshly. Yes, it's truth, but we're forgetting the in love part and we do more wounding Uh, Mm -hmm. than we ever really intended to. Love is really required if we are going to effectively minister in this area. Mm. Yeah, the idea, John, is it's corrective, restorative with our words, but never punitive. Unfortunately, in the moment, that's such an easy choice to go punitive. I've told my kids that I refer to doing that as going old covenant on them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, that's right. They've called you imprecatory dad. That's how they refer to (laughs) you. Anyway, yes, it's very true because it's so easy to totally forget 
the clear instruction of Romans chapter 12 to not repay evil for evil, mm. but to repay evil with good. And by doing so, you're heaping burning coals of fire on them. Mm. Uh, wow. What a powerful statement. Now, I want to make it even more personal, my friend. Ephesians 4.26 says this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And that's an interesting verse because it's right in a big section on letting corrupt stuff come out of our mouth, but only let out of our mouths what's good for building up so it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I'll tell you, Frank, mm. I'm in the middle right now of a circumstance that fits our topic directly. I am being slandered right now, and it hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I feel like I'm being slit from throat to belly. And the first thing, the first emotion that pops up is, oh, yeah, <laughs> you want to do this? Well, we watch out, baby, buckle your seatbelts, and bam, revenge. Yeah. You know, so when I look at that verse, don't let the sun go down in your anger, it's easy to interpret that as a command to just be passive. But that's not the whole verse, man. The mm -hmm. first part of that verse is be angry. It's okay to get PO'd, but don't sin. Mm. So my approach through this has been, Father, this hurts and you know it. So how shall I proceed, sir? Mm. I trust you to make my path straight. You said I will hear your voice. So I'm trusting you. I'm listening. What's the next step? And I tell you, man, it goes against all of what the world will tell us is right and just to not come down just as hard and just disembowel this other person as well. But that is not what our father has commanded us to do. I think you've really hit a very important point, John. I think it's so easy to be reactive. You know, I think as I was listening to you about Lamech, you remember him in the Old Testament? Oh, yes. Uh, he's the hero of many people, I'm sure. Uh, you know, God said, if anybody hurts Cain, God will bring vengeance tenfold. And Lamech shows up and says, well, if anybody hurts me, I'm going to bring my own vengeance a hundredfold. And it's so easy to function as a Lamech. But the flip side is I think sometimes there's a lot of people in the church that have made anger a sin, and it's not. In fact, I've had a lot of people in my office where I've struggled in the counseling arena because they can't be angry. I've had people suffered sexual abuse at the hands of a relative, and they're not angry at them, and they need to be. Jesus was angry. You know, he always sought restoration, and he always loved, but my goodness, he made a whip and cleanse the temple. So we need to be angry sometimes. I remember I was uh, being slandered by a group of people once, and they held a special meeting with me, and they were very unfounded. And please understand, there's a lot of things I do that could be founded very well. But on this particular night, these accusations were just left field in terms of theological stances and everything else. And so I got angry. I'll never forget this. One guy looks across the table at me, goes, you're angry, you're angry. And I said, what's your point? I said, of course I'm angry. There's some lie here. There's some 
bad theology here. And instead of handling this biblically, you're a mob. So of course I'm angry. So it's a balance, John. We've, we've got to be spirit led. And I think anger is very easy and available. And that's why the Holy Spirit says, make sure before that sun goes down, get your heart back where it needs to be, get your mind back where it needs to be. And let's look to the Holy Spirit and now be a responder instead of a reactor that's and right. pursue a uh, the best path we can towards restoration. That's right. Because if we don't, my friend, there's a consequence. Let me reread Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, talking about this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Even if you want to clobber them, give grace to those who hear. And this is the consequence if we don't do this and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, hmm. because scripture is so clear in so many places that when we react in anger and we lash out, um, a lot of people get hurt. The hmm. other person gets hurt, we get hurt, and the Holy Spirit of God himself is grieved by our choices. Hmm. And, you know, John, if we could take this one step further, when we do that, we're failing to preserve the unity of the bond of peace that the spirit has given us. You know, it's fascinating to me. We don't have to gain unity in the body of Christ. That's not what we're told to do. We already have it. We were all baptized into one body, but we were told to preserve it. And if you just look at the church and how many times churches split and at the root of it, is usually a lot of slander, yeah. a lot of judging, a lot of gossip, and partnership with the devil himself, because he is the slanderer. What a tragedy. If the veil could only be lifted, and we could see the spiritual dynamic of what we're doing, when we slander, or when we respond in anger. Mm -hmm. Wow. Listen to you talk, Frank, my mind goes to Proverbs 31, you know, the great Proverbs 31 woman, but there's something in there that I think really applies to our conversation today. And it's this verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness is on her tongue. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, how many times my friend over the years has kindness not been on our tongue. And when mm. I open my mouth too often, it's not with wisdom, it's with a wisecrack. And there's a big difference between <laughs> wisdom and wisecracks. Yeah. Uh, but the kindness is on her tongue. My goodness, what a testimony for anyone walking in the spirit. Yes, yeah, John, I just think of what you're saying is Proverbs 18, 21, death and life and the power of the tongue. Oh, and yeah. the choice is ours. We can either speak life or we can speak death. And because we're new creations, why would we ever want to speak death? That's right. Well, my friend, we're getting close to the end of our time, but I want to bring out one more topic for us to chew on. And this, uh, this comes from Psalm 141. And the psalmist prays this, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, 
keep mm. watch over the door of my lips. Now, let's enter into this for a moment. Mm. Uh, this is not a simple prayer saying, oh, Lord, please help me to say the right thing. Oh, no. This is saying, Father, I want you to place a guard on my mouth and physically stop me. Mm. You know, that's a pretty gut-wrenchingly honest prayer. Mm. Uh, basically, he's saying, God, if you got to, I give you permission to fight against me. Mm. And just do whatever you need to, to stop me from opening my mouth. Wow, mm. what a prayer. Well, you know, it's a, in direct harmony to what the Spirit said in the New Testament with James. He Remember, the Spirit through James said, who can control the tongue? And the idea is, no one can. So this area of our spiritual walk, our faith journey, John, is not something we're going to be able to say, I'm not going to do this. It has to be spirit controlled. So it's, it's yeah, I, it's a father, I, I can't control my tongue, but you sure can. And I want you to. Yeah. So it, the Old Testament, New Testament, perfect harmony. That's right. Well, uh, we have one more topic, but it's really a segue, Frank. It's going to lead us into the next episode. And that topic is this. I'm going to leave it hanging as a question. What if what we're dying to tell these people is not slander or not in anger? But what if it's the truth? What mm. if they've really blown it? And we want to correct them. We want to teach them. We want to admonish them. Well, Listeners, that's our next episode. So uh, come back next time. We're going to pick up right there with teaching and admonishing. But Frank, as we wrap this up, boy, it's been a gut-wrenching topic for me because I'm in the middle of this gumbo of a mess. What are your final thoughts for us today? Thanks, John, for asking that. There's a verse that I think would be great to wrap up with. It's out of Romans when it talks about judging and judging is at the root of slander. And the Holy Spirit asks every one of us as a child of God, who are you to judge the servant of another? That person you're slandering as a believer, they are God's child and they answer to him, not to you. And that's a good thought to keep in my brain when I get tempted to put somebody down with my words. Yeah. Because even if they are messing up, what does father say? You know, vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of this. You can leave it with me. When it comes to vengeance is mine, says the Lord, he's better at it than we are. There were people in the old book that were being a pain in the backside, and he gave them hemorrhoids. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> and one last thought, as you mentioned that, Frank, and I guess I'll close with this. In case our listeners might think that you and I have been backslapping, hand-holding buddies for decades, we have. But when the time has come, we have slashed iron against iron with each other. Here's a case in point. There was a time some years ago, you might remember this, Frank, but I do vividly, where a slanderous charge was raised up against me as an elder. Mm -hmm. And that charge was, that I was having an affair with my secretary. And so, of course, you did what you needed to do. You brought it before the elder board and you said, is this true? And I looked at you and I said, are you out of your mind? I work as a university professor. I don't even have my own secretary. 
And then you said this, shut up and answer the question. <laughs> and so even when you know somebody so very, very well, you still have to do diligence because I was an elder. I was a shepherd in the body and you had to make absolutely sure that you kept your first task, which was to protect the body. And to love a yeah. fellow elder. Yeah. That's right. To love me and give me a chance to explain. And uh, while I have forgotten that largely, uh, it still raises my wife's hackles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dear, yeah. Just shows again the need to protect an elder. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, dear friends, uh, you've been listening to Frank and me on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been talking about, my goodness, we've been talking about slander. Uh, hymn number one of the Devil's Songbook, and it's in the context of the one another's. Frank's and my take on life and the body of Christ. If you've liked what you've heard today, please check out our other episodes. We trust they'll bless you. Uh, visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. Pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. Man, we would love to hear from you. And of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We've got uh, Facebook, Instagram, a, a YouTube channel. Please check that out. And of course, uh, your favorite podcast home, iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music, whichever you prefer. And once again, I close with this, as I always do. It's a reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. First uh, Peter 3 calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope, a steadfast, immovable hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.